0: Today on the podcast, we have Ben Mitchell-Yellen as our first
1: guest. Thank you
0: for joining us, Ben.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about active learning. So we have just a few questions for you. So first, what is active learning to you?
1: Well, I've read some places that there's like something of a canonical definition, uh, something along the lines of like students are actively engaged in the production of knowledge or something like that. But- it's not exactly how I think about it because it's not very helpful. <laughs> I mean, also sometimes I've heard, I've like read or heard people talking about it as you're not just yapping at students who are passively absorbing your wisdom or something like that. I mean, I guess that's maybe closer to how I think about it. I don't want to just talk at students. I want to get them involved in coming up with answers to questions themselves or thinking through problems. I teach philosophy classes, and so... While many people think there's no right answer, there are definitely right answers, especially when you're asking what someone's view is or uh, what the argument for something is. So those give opportunities for students to engage with the material. So rather than me just feeding them a view or an argument, breaking them into groups, for example, and getting them to sort out or articulate a view and then think about whether or not they think it's, it's a good one and uh, things like that. I think that starts to count as active learning. But also, in my own case, all the courses I teach are writing enhanced. So a lot of what I do that I think fits under the rubric of active learning involves structured, small stakes or low stakes writing activities that force the students to engage with the material by having them write about it. Uh, Maybe it's a brainstorming exercise or maybe it's answering some questions or filling in some sort of template and building towards longer writing projects like reflection papers and essays and things like that. But part of what I like about active learning in the context of writing instruction is it helps students learn that writing is a process. It's not just something that you do the night before your essays do and you just like hit the keyboard a bunch of times and then turn it in. And I think that translates, that's kind of getting back to your original question. That's how I think of active learning in general. Like learning is a process and it's not something that's going to end even when they're done getting their degree at the university. So uh, active learning is, an active learning approach is going to be, I think, more conducive to helping students develop skills to be lifelong learners. And obviously they're doing so in a classroom here when, when we have them at SAM, but you know, they're, they're learning how to learn in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, it's more effective. All the literature suggests that. I think about it in terms of like structuring activities that will help students develop these skills that allow them to learn the material, engage with it deeply, help it stick in their brain, things like that.
0: Great. You've uh, maybe already answered this question to some extent, but why do you do active learning? <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it is a good question. I would say I do it because I'm convinced that it's effective learning. I mean, I don't think there's anything magic about active learning. If I were to be convinced next year that something that's not considered active learning was helping my students, then I would do that as well. So I do it because it seems to work. By seems to work, I mean like students enjoy it and the level of discussion and the written work that they turn in, it's all improved from when I used to have an outline and a bunch of stuff that I needed to say at them in the 50 minutes that we have together in the class. That one, I think, is a shorter answer. Why do I do it? Because it it seems to work. Students get more excited about the material, take greater ownership of the class and their own learning, and that just has better learning outcomes,
0: Excellent. So another question uh, that I have is how do you do active learning? So what, what does a day of active learning look like in your class?
1: It's really going to be different depending on the classes. Um, I forget precisely who it was, but we had someone out at Sam a couple of years ago who gave a workshop and like the main takeaway from her workshop was that active learning requires a lot of structure Even if it's just a short, like think, pair, share exercise, like you've got to make the structure explicit to the students. But then I think it's going to be true for your class as a whole. Class structure, I think, is enormously important. And I'm bringing that up in answer to your question because... I teach some classes that are um, in this UCAT, E-W-C-A-T model, and they involve these special discussion sessions that are peer-led. So I hire an undergraduate who I've worked with before. Usually they've taken the class before and they lead a discussion session each week where I'm not present, but I provide questions for the students to prepare answers to beforehand, but then they split into smaller groups. And my peer leader basically just makes sure the discussion runs smoothly and takes some notes about the content of what they're they're saying. And I think that counts as active learning because it's all student-led. I mean, usually the peer leader doesn't really have to say much and the students are all engaged in talking about the course material and, their thoughts about it uh, without even my oversight. So it's even like less intrusive than splitting them into groups in the classroom while I'm walking around and kind of eavesdropping. Um, so that's one way it shows up in my classes. So some of my classes have these special discussion sessions and those are great. Another way it shows up is uh, small group work. I use that all the time, even in hybrid classes where I have some students in the room and some students on Zoom. It's very easy to use breakout rooms on Zoom to to talk about things in small groups. And there's different ways of structuring the small groups. I already mentioned think, pair, share. That's probably the easiest or kind of like most basic one. But there's ways of rotating students through groups that'll work. The last thing I'll mention is I I do a lot of structured, low stakes writing in my classes, face-to-face, hybrid, or online And I've become a big believer in using those, especially to scaffold to larger assignments. And by scaffolding, I mean kind of nested or structured assignments that'll build on each other leading to a larger project. So in my case, oftentimes there's like a final essay for the class and students will engage in a bunch of different writing exercises throughout the term maybe some discussion boards, some brainstorming exercises, some shorter reflection papers. And then I make it really explicit to them that, hey, this is all like stuff that you should be thinking about as trying out ideas uh, for your final essay. Or if you get some feedback from me and I'm like, hey, this is really great. In the back of your mind, you should think, hey, maybe I will be able to use that for my final essay. And then as we do essay workshops in class, so we have peer feedback on ideas and outlines. I suppose this would also count as active learning. Various kind of activities that we're doing, like write a two to three sentence introduction to your paper, and then they share it with their peer in class and they give each other feedback and stuff like that. Um, I guess that's like an active learning type of technique that'll get them used to some of the norms of writing philosophy, which are going to be different than norms of writing an English paper, which are going to be different than norms of writing a, a math paper or something. So so going back to scaffolding, like I, I like to, to make it explicit mm-hmm. to them that you know this isn't just busy work. This is part of the process of producing the final essay for this class. The hope is that that helps them more seriously engage with it because it's not like, you know, it's a long-term project. And I think that that's helpful for them to see.
0: Yeah, it seems like that would really get them toward where they're trying to go. I really like the point that you made about um, structure because I, it's been my experience that students think um, when you do active learning that you're not doing anything. And that's definitely not the case, right? <laughs> you put a lot of thought into it. It's just like your doing is not in front of them. It's somewhere else where they don't see it.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I like the way you put that. Your doing is not in front of them. There's a lot of behind the scenes work with active learning, I mean, one struggle is that's that's part of uh, why it can be difficult to incorporate initially for an instructor who's not used to it because you can't just on the fly. I mean, until you're used to it and you have like a toolkit that you can reach into, it's, it's difficult on the fly to start incorporating it. You have to be very intentional and think about it ahead of time. Even, I think, at the level of like writing your syllabus and designing the course. But I, I, I do think like you make a, or, or kind of implicitly brought up this point that, you know, if students are thinking that active learning is just a way for the instructor to not do any work and make the students all do it. There could be some sort of like backlash. And that's part of why I think it's important not just to have the structure, but tell the students what's going on. Like, hey, we're gonna do this. And here's the reason. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and then also I think it's really important to follow up with them, let them know, Hey, today's discussion was really great. Notice like I barely said anything, but you guys anticipated, Like basically when I spoke, it was just to say great point. And also, by the way, you just anticipated our next reading or something like that. So just help them see like they're being successful. Cause it's, it's not going sometimes I don't use tests and quizzes in the same way that some courses do and so they don't have this sort of like immediate feedback. Oh, I got a 100 on my test. I'm doing great. Rather they need to to get feedback on whatever their discussion board post or their small group discussion in class. And so it's important, I think, to remain engaged with the students so that they can feel like you're yeah, you're not just like pushing the work onto them. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That feedback portion is also really important. I found you know, because I'm a mathematician, it's like so easy for students to say, okay, you know, I got a hundred on the test. So I know I'm doing really well versus with my, we kind of more open-ended things. And, and I'm sure this is not so unusual for you, but then they kind of don't know, like there's not a percentage there to tell them how they're doing. And so I have to be much more, um, engaged in like, letting them know that they're doing okay um is that an experience that you also have
1: i do have that experience and i've been struggling with it lately like how every time you try to i or my experience is every time i try to introduce new techniques or redesign things in classes it can suck up a lot of time like my own time and in part it's great because it i think it ends up being rewarding but also there's a danger like you can spend your whole time dealing with this and you're not, not able to get other things done um, that you need to do as a faculty member. Um, And part of this is feedback. So when I say I struggle, like, yes, I want to be able to give students feedback, but you know, if they're doing regular discussion board posts and I'm trying to give them (laughs) concrete feedback on each discussion board post, I have to be really careful about how I do that. Otherwise I will do nothing but monitor and respond to discussion boards where in-class discussion is gonna take a hit from that. My own research is gonna take a hit from that. Uh, life outside work is gonna get you know, hoovered up by, by this. And so um, one thing I would like to get better at is um, learning how to structure peer feedback. So students are doing that. I think it's really tricky though, because... Um, If they don't do it well, then it all falls apart. And uh, so when we do essay workshops, I I tend to have a lot of student feedback, like peer-to-peer feedback, but not entirely because also if somebody gets paired or grouped with a less than motivated set of people, then they really miss out and that's not fair to them. Uh, So that's tricky. Mm
0: -hmm. I've also found with my peer feedback at least that students are like too nice to each other and so in the interest of being nice they don't they don't give each other like quality feedback and so that's um there I know that there are rubrics out there to help people out with that sort of thing um in my field probably also in your field I mean, or just like writing in general
1: yeah, I came, I came around to rubrics re, like more recently than I would like to admit. <laughs> I think I resisted them for a long time thinking they were too cookie cutter. But one of my colleagues convinced me that, no, it's only as cookie cutter as you make it. I mean, it can provide, again, this structure that allows you to structure your feedback. And if you do the work ahead of time to make a good rubric, then it's actually going to be enormously helpful for you and for the students. But I I really feel you on this. Students being too nice to each other, that can be difficult. Uh, you know, like sometimes, like in in my class, oftentimes we're doing argument evaluation, and so you know they'll they'll be weighing in on whether or not they agree with an argument that somebody gave and explaining why or why not. And so sometimes the feedback would be like, yeah, you know, I. I totally disagree with your point, but you make, you make some really good points. And it's like, well, you kind of can't have it both ways. <laughs> you need to, exp- I mean, it's okay to disagree with each other without it turning into like personal hatred or something.
0: Right, because it's all about argument construction, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, I don't have to think that you're right but I do have to evaluate the merit of your argument.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Unfortunately in math, it's just, you know like the calculus problem has one answer. People think like because there's a right answer, like you were saying earlier, like there's a right answer in philosophy too. Like people think that because there's a right answer in math, like that there's only one way to get there. And you have to do that series of steps to get there, but that's not the case at all. And I actually get like stupidly excited (laughs) when my students are like come up with an argument that I didn't think of or wouldn't have thought of. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. And then they get all awkward about it.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope that does make it into the podcast because that's actually a really good point. (laughs) That's part of the beauty of, I think that another huge benefit of active learning is that you get this organic way of producing a diversity of viewpoints. Um, Even if there is a right answer, if I'm giving them the proof on the board, that's one thing. But if they're coming up with proofs in their small groups or arguments in their small groups, even if they're all aimed at the same conclusion, they're going to be different arguments. And then you get really interesting diversity of perspectives like, oh, there's different ways of getting to the same place. Um, and even, even if it's roughly the same argument, but you're just trying to get them to articulate it in their own words, people will oftentimes use different vocabulary that is, is itself self-revealing. Like, oh, I really like the way you phrase that because then that helps us see how this other thing that we've talked about hooks in. And so that's a really good point that even when there is a correct answer, there can be a lot of learning that goes into how do you get there?
0: Yeah, it brings us back to the point of the feedback is that, you know, like you give your students feedback, but with active learning, they also give you feedback in a different way. Of, and you can learn, you also get to learn from from like how different brains perceive these things.
1: Yeah, I think that is a great selling point for faculty to think about incorporating more active learning into their classes, because as people who are tasked with not just teaching, but doing research, I think it's, it really helps liven up stuff that you're so familiar with that you're able to teach it and you're comfortable teaching it. But yeah. Uh, we have a great wealth of resources sitting there with us and it can be really exciting to have a student say something about some topic that you've thought about for a long time. And then all of a sudden it's just like a totally new way of thinking about it. as you said, like a, a different brain approaching the same stuff. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it just shines a slightly different light on it. And that can be really exciting Um, not just for the class, but as like a researcher, you can think, oh, wow. Thanks. I never thought about that. Um, And it's harder to get. I mean, it's not that you can't get that in a more traditional lecture format, but it's much harder to get. And I also think going back on this diversity of viewpoints comment, one other benefit of active learning is if you, if you intentionally try to do so, I think it's a lot easier to bring in voices in the classroom that uh, otherwise wouldn't be incorporated. Like, for example, because it's a shy person or because there's one or two people who always talk first. And so if you're breaking people into small groups or you're doing activities that require everybody to contribute something, then you really do get like more voices in there. And I think that oftentimes it snowballs once students see, oh, hey, I said something and it, nobody laughed at me or it wasn't that painful to do, um, then, it, then it really helps out because people build confidence. And then uh, even for those people who like are prone to talk all the time, they, they also start to realize, oh, well, if I you know, wait a little bit, other people will have interesting stuff to say, I don't have to fill the space all the time.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Okay. Thank you for all of your uh, wonderful ideas and suggestions for how people can do active learning today, Ben. Um, And thank you for your time. I know it's
1: short these days. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was really fun.
2: podcast is sponsored by the Engaging Classrooms Classroom Observations. Sign up today for our team to come record one of your classes, virtual or face-to-face. We will then code your recording with the TDOP program and produce your very own personalized active learning baseline. This data will be used for our Engaging Classrooms QEP assessment, and all recordings will be destroyed after results have been shared with you. If you are interested in participating, we invite you to email us at engaging at shsu.edu. Thanks so much.
0: Today, we have Crystal Brown from the Sociology Department at SHSU to talk to us about active learning. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, my first question for you is What is active learning? What does that mean to you?
3: Uh, Active learning is a methodology to get your students engaged in the classroom. Um, It's uh, a way to have them critically think about subjects, it helps them to build esteem. It goes beyond uh, just presenting students with information, but allows them to probe uh, and build on that so they can uh, go further into the subject. So they are involved in their learning experience. That's what active learning is to me.
0: Um, so as you think about what active learning is to you, how what is your motivation for doing those things? Oh God. <laughs> I will say, like
3: uh, other educators, I found it difficult at times to keep students engaged, particularly with the lectures. Um, I became more of an active learning instructor when I was searching for ways to keep my students focused on what I was presenting to them. And uh, I became, uh, of course, involved with the ACCU, facilitating for them and also going through their uh, course. And I realized that some of the things that I was doing as far as active uh, learning techniques, I was expanding on it, um, but I was already engaging with it. So I would ask Uh, students things um, concerning how they felt the information may be related to another aspect of their lives. Um, I was doing things like uh, I had learned about like one minute quizzes before then. Uh, So I would give them a prompt and for like a minute they would write Whatever they felt concerning that uh, particular subject, so um, I became active learning when I just wanted to just explore the creativity aspect of teaching. That's how I really became you know, I got tired of the mundane) <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that too. Um, even though I'm a mathematician, I get to see what my students are thinking on a much more, I say that math is a creative thing. Nobody believes me in like when they're doing calculus, but it really is. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a great point that there's some creativity in your students that, that you can bring out and in yourself. Yeah. I definitely think that. Um,
3: Sometimes instructors, but students are used to utilizing one aspects of themselves when they walk into a classroom, right? And with. Active learning, you are getting your students to fully participate in a subject, which is why I think it is extremely uh, powerful because they get to discuss, they get to investigate, they get to create. It's literally the same thing that, at least information-wise, the things that you would pass on, you know, maybe during your lectures or maybe during that standard quiz, but you are giving them um, new insight and you're giving them empowerment when you're allowing them to have a role in that learning process.
0: So um, what does active learning look like for you? So what, what kinds of activities do you use in your classes?
3: Okay, so I've done the think pair share before with uh, my students where um, I'll have them respond to a prompt, very short, very brief, usually um, something that I would just ask in qu- class, give them a little bit of time to write on it, and then I'll have them partner up to exchange the information with uh other students. What did you write? What did you write so instead of me you know searching for a student to ask a question to and then get nervous about it, I create this small, comfortable environment where they get to compare their responses on a subject like, oh, wow, I came to this conclusion too, or how did you get there? So, think, pair, share is a way that um, I utilize active learning. Uh, Another active learning thing uh, that I do, I do the uh, hat full of questions. And so I would take a bowl full of questions and I would pass it around the room. The students would go in and they would um, answer the question and then I would engage other students. Okay, follow up with this person's response. Um, Kahoot! And I bring that up because You know, it's a pandemic out there. Some of us are teaching hybrid classes and Kahoot has been a great friend uh, to me as far as the active learning process because it allows my virtual students to become engaged as well as the students that are present. That day, and I get to pause, and the students get to see where they are on a, a, a subject, and we get to discuss, you know, the results as a class, even if it's something as simple as a poll. So those sort of things are very reflective of active learning to me.
0: I've never heard of the hat full of questions thing. I think that's a really interesting idea. So are they um, are they small questions, big questions, a combination of the two, or? Well, that's very, very good. Uh, usually I do hat
3: full of questions. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, uh, sometimes it's called fish bowl full of questions too. You take a fishbowl, you take a, a hat um, and you have questions that you would ask your students and you drop them in there uh, into the container. And what I would do is usually at the beginning of class is I'll have questions uh, for the students, and it could be something as simple as basing the questions on the earlier reading. Sometimes I would do full of questions to probe what students knew going into a subject, and it's also something that I would like to do at the end of a lesson. Um, that way, you can gauge their understanding, and it allows students. Let's say if one student pulled out a hat and they could pull out a question they couldn't really. Uh, answered or they struggled with their response you know they could look to one of their classmates for help or hey how, how can you add or contribute to this question as well so a full of questions took a lot of pressure off of calling on those individual students you know it, we're dealing with students that sometimes become easily embarrassed or, you know, they feel lost for words for a question. But when I did have full of question, it allows students the time to, you know, come up with a response instead of feeling like they were just being put on the spot about a question.
0: The thing that, uh, the, like the wheels that are turning in my brain is that seems like a really cool way to do formative assessment. Um, both for you and for the students because the students can sort of sit there and think and like they heard someone else's question. They think, okay, what would I say to that question? Um, And then like you formalize that process of, you know, this person can't answer this question. Can you answer the question? Yes, yes, yes. Um,
3: And that's definitely the reasons I enjoy doing it uh, because it gives me feedback Um, And it gives the students feedback as well because they get to gauge where they are on a particular uh, subject. Let me say with active learning, um, I think it's extremely important for this particular generation because of social media. Um, A lot of them have an image that they want to protect. You know, they're uh, afraid of uh, failing at something. You know, and in a classroom environment, an educational environment, you know, we don't come in knowing everything. And so when you're utilizing these types of techniques um, to have students uh, involved in their learning process, they may not know everything, but they get to see their growth. It helps to build their confidence and their esteem in areas because they can say, hey, I went into this not knowing these questions. But once I'm asked them again or um, once they're presented to me again, I can see how I've shifted and, and changed.
0: I very much appreciate the sociological perspective you brought to that, that you know they have Like an image to protect, Um, because I've noticed that in our students that they're afraid to fail. But I've never thought, well, thank goodness nobody was like recording everything I did when I was in college. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Yes.
3: (laughs) Definitely, uh, I I think it's. I was maybe two, three past years. Definitely in times where things like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook have become more prominent, and a lot of them are. there's a there's a word that we use in sociology, uh, image impression. There we go, uh, impression management. That's it. Uh, that's what they do a lot of as young people as college students while they're shaping their own identities. And I used to tell my students in my class, "All right, guys, we are going to fail upwards," and they would get so appalled, like, "What do you mean? You're not going to fail upwards?" I'm like, listen, you cannot expect as a, a academic, not to make some mistakes. You have to have the knowledge that you don't know everything and it's okay to grow. This is where you're going to see the learning process. But they were just appalled at the, just the thought you know, that they were going to get something wrong or, or make mistakes. But again, active learning is growing learning. And this is something that I, I want them to uh, understand.
0: Yeah. And I think that also sort of shed some light on um, the more human aspect that active learning allows you to be more more of a human or like to take the human effect or the human side of your students more into account. Um, yeah. Because if you are not, inter- I mean, I don't want to say not interacting because that's not fair to people who are doing lecturing, but like if you're lecturing um, and you're sort of information is flowing one direction or knowledge is flowing one direction, um, then you won't see that part of your students um, necessarily.
3: Yeah, Uh, and let me say about lecturing, I'm a fan of a good lecture as well, you know, (laughs) Um, because a good lecture will take you on a, a ride and it will absolutely enthrall you. And I think students enjoy that as well. I think something to consider is when teaching techniques are appropriate for a given uh, subject, you know? And that doesn't mean your um, teaching field as a whole, but you know, throughout the semester, there's different things that we may uh, focus on. So certain things, active learning might be more appropriate for them to gain that concept. Other times you do just need to give a a lecture so they can absorb um, information that you are uh, presenting to them. But the bottom line is you do have to weigh the costs and the benefits of whatever teaching strategy that you are utilizing with your students.
0: Agreed. Well, thank you for this wonderful conversation, Crystal. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you for your time uh, being on the podcast today. All right, thank you guys so much for
3: having me. It was a pleasure.
2: Engaging Podcast is brought to you by Engaging Exploration. It's that time of year, folks. Engaging Exploration participant applications have opened. If you are looking to get into active learning and not sure where to start, this is our first level of training that we offer through the QEP. This week-long workshop will help you to create tangible items to implement in your classrooms, as well as give you the opportunity to become a student for a day, actually four days, Visit our website for more info and the application. That's www.shsu.edu/qep.